0: As we're studying the Book of Acts. It's awesome to know that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. Amen. Yes. So, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter six. As on Wednesday night, as we're going through the Bible, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. You guys look a little too comfortable right now, and your minds can only take what your seat can endure. So, would you stand with me and let's pray? Father, we thank you so much for working in Santa's life and bringing her to salvation. And we thank you that you're greater than the kingdom of darkness. We pray you'd bless her tonight in the Ugandan church. Thank you for allowing us to be able to play a part in what you're doing there in Uganda. God, as we open up your word tonight, we want to be just open pages where we want those hearts of fertile soil for you to plant your word. So would you bless this time through the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Churches split sometimes for some very unusual reasons. This comes from the 1890s from Mayfield, Kentucky. Small church, there was two deacons that provided the leadership and they were always arguing with each other. On one particular day, that this one deacon decides that he was going to put a wooden peg in the back of the church, so as the pastor came in, he had a place to hang up his hat. Well, the other deacon came in and he sees this wooden peg and he says, Who in the world would put this peg up without consulting me? And there you had a church split over the wooden peg. And in the community, you then had the anti-peg Baptists and then the peg Baptists. We wish that those kind of stories weren't true, but unfortunately, our flesh is alive and well and can easily come and bring division amongst the people of God. Last week in Acts chapter 5, we see the church withstanding a full-on assault from the outside. The apostles are arrested. They're beaten. But yet they continue steadfast in the midst of that opposition. I want to suggest to you that that's not the biggest source of opposition that we face. It's chapter 6, and it's the opposition that comes from within, Satan's busy doing different tactics to try to destroy the church and now he wants to come inside of the church, the people of God, and divide and conquer. And the greatest way for Satan to bring damage in our lives is to try to divide us as the family of God inside of this particular church and also us with other churches in our community and throughout our state and throughout the country. Scripture tells us that we should be aware of Satan's tactics so that we're not taken advantage of. Inside of our homes, with our friendships, it's the same thing, isn't it? The enemy wants to come and get a wedge in a marriage. He wants to come and get a wedge inside of friendships. I think for this section of scripture, to have value and to have meaning in our hearts and lives tonight, we first have to understand how important the church is to God. We know that the church is the bride of Christ, and we say that kind of flippantly sometimes, but we are the bride of Christ. Jesus died for us in order for us to be his bride. There couldn't be any greater value, any greater compliment given. Also, we're the body of Christ. We're the hands, the feet of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. So when we get divided amongst ourselves, who bleeds? Christ bleeds, doesn't he? We know that the people of God are the inheritance of Jesus Christ. If a bride of Christ wasn't enough, the body of Christ is not enough, you're the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Your brothers and sisters sitting around you are the inheritance of Jesus Christ. So let's look into this chapter and see what it is that's causing the division. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying. So God adds to the church, but he also multiplies the church. Peter gives his first message, 3,000 saved. Man healed, 2,000 more saved. Scripture says... It's being multiplied, those coming to know Christ as their Savior. Geographically, land space-wise, Jerusalem's not a huge city like Colorado Springs in geography. This is an old ancient city. Everything's pretty compact. All these people are together, and now you find this movement of the Holy Spirit, and you find the disciples being multiplied. We go on in verse 1, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because they're widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Anytime God moves and there's growth in our lives, there's growth in a church, people get saved, then there's also going to be problems that come from that growth. This is a natural result of the fact that you've got a ton of people coming to know Christ as their Savior, and inevitably someone's going to start to feel like, well, my needs don't matter. It's interesting as I observe church that sometimes people aren't always excited about the growth of a church. They're not always excited about more people coming to know Christ as their Savior. They're not more excited about more people going to heaven. They're just saying, all of a sudden, I feel like I don't matter around here as much. Because now there's more people and I just kind of blend in with everyone else and no one really notices me anymore. And so you can see how these widows could start feeling this way. And most division inside of churches starts because of hurt. We get offended. And we don't work through it in a biblical manner and Satan's like, great, here's a wedge that goes through. Most homes are divided through hurt. Maybe you're sitting tonight and it's a divided home and you look back and you go, well, when did the hurt start? Well, I went back to my birthday and I felt like the gift wasn't sufficient for my birthday. And I've been holding hard feelings ever since, you know? And then you stop and you realize, man, that's a little thing for there to be such a wall of division that takes place. The widows are having their needs met every day because God's heart is for the widows The Hellenists, who are the Hellenists? These are Jews that are primarily influenced by the Greek culture. Many times the Jews would go to other countries, these Greek cultures, and they would live and then they would come back to Israel, Zionists, if you would. And some of these widows wouldn't speak Hebrew at all as they grew up in these Greek cultures, but they were ethnically Hebrew. And there was this huge division and this huge prejudice that happened from Hebrews, I've spent all my life in Israel. And then you have your Hellenists who ethnically are Hebrew, but you spent the majority of your life outside of Israel. These two groups would not hang out together until Pentecost, when God birthed the church. God's still doing that. I doubt that all of us would be gathered together tonight if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the work of Christ in our lives. But sometimes those old prejudices, they die hard, don't they? So these Hellenists, they start to feel like we're getting left out on purpose, which may or may not have been the case. Most likely it wasn't on purpose. It's the fact that you've got so many people. And so One day, two days, some ladies don't get some food, and they start to get offended, and they go, well, it's because I'm a Hellenist. It's because I'm not a a Hebrew. Complaining and murmuring will be the slow but certain death of a church. When we get to that place when we're offended, we've got a couple things to do. One is we can let it go. Kind of like, which is the right way to squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube? Well, it doesn't matter as long as the toothpaste gets out of the tube, right? What's the right way to unroll the toilet paper off the roll? I don't know. It's just beneficial to use it, amen, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so sometimes in this midst of offenses, we can just choose to say, you know, this isn't a big deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. It, does, it doesn't matter. It has no consequential value. And then if we can't get over it and it's something that is causing us To not think the best of other believers, we've got to bring it up. And we've got to talk about it. And it's good that this complaint gets brought to the apostles. In Proverbs 17, verse 14, it says this. The beginning of strife is like the releasing of water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. That's a good word, isn't it? Let me read it to you again. The beginning of strife is like the releasing of water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Picture in your mind a dam. And the dam gets a little leak. And if that leak doesn't get fixed, you're going to have a lot of rushing water. And it's the same way with the quarrel. It's just beginning. The strife is just beginning to happen in our homes and in our relationships. And that's the time to run and make sure that we try to find peace so that we don't have all of the water rush out. Verse 2 Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, this is good biblical leadership. Is the disciples, the apostles. They listen to the complaint and they say, we need to deal with this. They don't just put it under the carpet and allow it to fester. And there's other times in scripture where we see the same thing happening. Nehemiah had the mission to build the wall around Jerusalem. And they had the assault from without, from the enemies of God. But then there was fighting from within. There was people getting taken advantage of. Some people didn't have money. Some other people did have money. Those that were the haves loaned money to the have-nots with high interest rates. Well, the law had said, don't have usury or interest against your, your own people. And if Nehemiah would have just said, well, they'll work it out eventually... That would have caused the ruin of the work of God. And Nehemiah, in his wisdom, he says, you know what? We need to go towards this. We need to move towards it, not away from it, to make this issue right. And it's the same thing that happens with these leaders in the early church. And I think what we see in the church, we can also model in our homes. If there's the beginning of division in our homes, beginning of division in our friendships beginning of division in our church, then we want to go to it sooner than later and see the Lord bring about a solution. Continuing in verse 2, it says, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve the tables. It seems like one of the suggestions is that the apostles would take on oversight of making sure that all of these widows have food. And at first reading of verse 2, you could think, man, These guys are really prideful. I thought they were supposed to be servant leaders. I thought they were supposed to be like Christ and Christ washed the disciples' feet. Don't get the wrong idea, okay? The disciples, the apostles, I think they loved to serve. If they saw trash, they would pick it up. If they saw a need, they would seek to be able to meet it. But this is a seven day a week operation. These widows, they need to eat every single day, three meals a day. And they know in their hearts and their minds, if we take this on, then something else is going to suffer. And what's going to suffer is the ministry of the word, of teaching God's word. So there's several things here from verse 2. And the first is, they knew that the ministry of God's word is being threatened. They understand that in order for them to take on this need, they're going to be giving up something else. They also knew their calling. They knew what God was calling them to do. When we try to do everything, we become ineffective in anything. Isn't that true? So we can't look at our lives and go, I can fulfill every need. You can't fulfill every need. I can't fulfill every need. And that brings us to the next point, that we are the body of Christ. That God has given the apostles this task of being in prayer and teaching God's word. But he's going to raise up a new group that they have a heart to meet the practical needs. There's the spiritual needs and there's the practical needs and are the practical greater than the spiritual or is the spiritual greater? No, not one is greater. They just both need to get done. And there's so much freedom in just knowing what your calling is and knowing what you're gifted in and us to understand that it's us working together for the glory of the Lord. You might be saying, well, Pastor Eric, I don't know what my calling is. And in fact, I... I didn't know that I had a calling. I didn't realize that God had given me spiritual gifts. Start serving, and your gifts will become evident. You might have an opportunity to teach, and you go, that was a slow and painful death. I don't ever want to do it again. You know, I was struggling to find the words and felt like I needed to buy a vowel. That that wasn't for me. But you find yourself going over to your neighbor's house and were able to help them fix their furnace or help them to be able to fix their toilet. And you go, that just came so natural. You put a hammer in my hand and the words just begin to flow and you've got the gift of helps. That's what the Lord has blessed you with. Have you ever heard the saying that it's hard to steer a parked car? You, you can't move it very well. But as soon as the car starts moving, it becomes easier to steer. It becomes mobile. And we need to get going. We need a direction. We say, God, I want to start serving you. I want to be a blessing to other people. And it'll start to become evident what your gifts are knowing the calling that God has has given to you. In verse three: Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. Notice that the answer to this problem is there inside of that particular body. I've found that God is so faithful in this at Arm C at Rocky Mountain Calvary. As the Lord multiplies and people come to know the Lord and ministry expands, then there's more needs, and we start looking around the body here, and you go, "Wow." man, this person would be great at that, and that person would be, would be great at this. And, and God provides people, he provides laborers for the needs inside of the fellowship. But notice these men had to be sought out. They had to be sought out. Have you ever been asked by someone to do something that you never thought you would do on your own? Someone else comes up to you and says, hey, have you ever considered being a leader in the men's ministry, or have you ever considered teaching the Third graders here at the church, small group, have you ever, I could really see you being an excellent small group leader. Why don't you you give it a try? Before long, you realize, man, maybe the Lord's moving in my life. There's a lot of things that have come in my life that way. And so we want to look around and encourage one another in those gifts. We want to seek people out and go, hey, you know, I think you would be really good at this. Now, I want to seek you out right now. Can we have a one-on-one conversation or almost a one-on-one conversation? It is a, a Wednesday night. As we're gonna find in this passage of scripture, there's a real joy that comes in serving, in serving. Today, we had the opportunity just to get together as, as pastors and we get together in three or four times a year and have lunch together. And today, Compassion International was nice enough to host us and they have a new president there and he shared with us his life story And he's got a neat life story and I'll save that for him. But what stuck out to me is he talked about how much his dad loved the church and his dad served in the church and his dad made sure that they were in a church as as a family and how that impacted him. And now he's given his life to serve the church. He spent the last 20 years in a, in a ministry that equips pastors, and, and now Compassion's whole focus is on working with the local church to minister to children. And where did that start? Where did he get that? He got that from a dad that saw the value of, of church. And I just want to encourage you to pray about taking some time of your week, some time of your month, and making it a priority to serve God's people, of saying, I am a part of this body. Rocky Mountain Calvary is my home church, and I get fed here, and I get loved here. And if that's the case, if you get fed here, and you get loved here, guess what? You're a part of what God is doing here, and he's given you specific gifts for you to reach out and to love other people inside of the the body of Christ. And I can't tell you how much one service goes a month. If you set aside one service a month and you serve in an area of need. Now, I want to bring out something that's very obvious in this text. The need was to make sure that widows had food, to wait tables. There's not necessarily a gift of wiping tables. You know what I'm saying? It's just called a need in a church that needs to, to get done. And praise the Lord that those needs get met. And you might be wondering, where, well, where is God calling me? Where, where do you see our church lacking? because we do lack. We have strengths and and we have weaknesses. That's probably where God is calling you to fill in the gap. Amen? If something really stirs you and you go, man, they they just need more small groups, then the Lord's probably calling you to be a small groups leader, you know? If you come and tell me, hey, we need more small groups, I'm going to say, God's calling you to open up your home. Sure sounds like it, doesn't it? If you go into the restrooms, it very rarely ever happens here. Donnie does a great job, but you just happen to notice the restrooms are a little bit dirty. Thousands of people use these restrooms weekly. There's things that happen during the day, and well, guess what? The Lord may be calling you to come alongside Donnie and help him clean the restrooms. I think you get the idea. It's where you see the need and the need that God is bringing out to you. Maybe it's in your neighborhood and you see a need inside of your neighborhood, that's the Holy Spirit. But these men are being sought out, and I think the Holy Spirit is seeking us out and saying, make it a priority to serve the the people of God. Find some time throughout the month, one one time a month, say, Lord, I want to be a blessing to your people. Continuing in verse three, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. To wait tables, to make sure that widows get food, all you really need is to be able to take in oxygen, to have a heart that's beating. But that's not what God says. These seven men were to have a good reputation. They were to have a good witness in the community and in the church. They were to be full of the spirit and of wisdom because any task inside of the body of Christ. It's, it's a worthwhile task. And God does desire that we would walk in a way that honors Him. As I was reading this the after, this afternoon, it said, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and I wrote down in my notes, what am I full of? <laughs> what am I full of? And what are you full of tonight? Is it pride? Is it a- anger? Is it arrogance? Is it covetousness? Is it greed? Is it lust? And of these men... They were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And don't you like the balance of the two? They were spiritual men, but also practical men. Holy Spirit and wisdom. And they were to oversee this. They were to be appointed over this business. So people knew to go to these seven men when it came to the widow's food. Verse four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this again goes back to the calling of the apostles. They didn't mind waiting tables, but they knew what they were supposed to do. They were to be in prayer and they were to be ministering the word. And this word ministering, it means serving. They're to be serving in the capacity of bringing God's word. The health of pastors is something that you research and it's heartbreaking. Each year in the United States, 18,000 pastors are resigning 18,000 pastors are resigning. Most men that go to Bible college or seminary will only pastor for five years. And They'll be out of, of the ministry. I appreciate your prayers. <laughs> why is that? Don't you think that's a worthwhile question to be asking? Why is there infidelity? Why is there financial mismanagement? And you know, Why is there burnout and, and rust out and all the different things inside of the pastorate I think it may be that sometimes we as pastors we forget what our primary calling is. Our primary calling is not to run church staffs. Our primary calling is not to go to business meetings and run financial committees. It's not to figure out how a facility works or, you know, develop land or all these different things now that are encompassed in the job of a pastor. It's to be a man of prayer and to be a man in the word. And this is a constant battle. You can be praying for us in this that we will learn to say no to certain things so we can say yes to prayer and we can also say yes to the word of God. We're seeing tremendous growth inside of churches. I know a lot of people they get really I don't know what's happening to the church. Well, God's blessing the church worldwide. In the early 80s in America, there was 150 churches or so that were over the size of 1000. 150 churches. Now they estimate just in the United States alone that there's 8,000 churches that are over 1,000 people. And once you have that many people coming to a church, then you do have issues of a church staff, a church building, all these different things, and a pastor can't do it all. And I'm so thankful, even on our pastoral team, that we have different gifts, so it frees me up to focus on prayer and the Word of God. Sometimes you may call the church office and say, hey, can I meet with Pastor Eric? And sometimes I'm able to say yes, and sometimes I have to say no. It's not because I don't want to meet with you, but if I met with everybody from our church, I would never sit down and put together another Bible study. I would never be able to have the time of prayer that is needed, and so I have to guard that, that time. Robert, our assistant pastor, he, he functions in this administrative role where he oversees the staff and he is the first hands of overseeing the finances. And he does such a, a wonderful job. I couldn't do my job if he didn't see the value in his job. And we have a great team of pastors I could go through the list. But I find myself being reminded and convicted and encouraged that I need to be in prayer and I need to be in the word. Ian Bounds said this, What the church needs today is not more machinery, not new organizations, or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost doesn't flow through methods, but through men. He doesn't come on machinery, but on men. He doesn't anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. Good exhortation. In verse five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. Don't you love that? The Holy Spirit gives an answer and instead of everybody walking away upset and in the civil war there's peace and unity, these Hellenistic widows, they feel loved, they feel cared for and the whole multitude is blessed. They've kept the unity of the Holy Spirit. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He's the first that's given to this group of caring for these widows. He's got a nice little side note that's written by the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith, he trusted the Lord and he's full of the Holy Spirit. Then we have the other six that are listed. And Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. What do we notice about these names? Well, Stephen and Philip are gonna go on to take a strong role in the book of Acts. All of these men are Greek, they're Greek. They're not Hebrew, which is significant because you have Hellenistic Jews, Jews that have a primary Greek influence that felt overlooked, so it seems to be a wise choice at this time to pick seven Greek men. Verse six, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. This speaks to me. How many times do we try to do God's work without God's power? This is a fairly simple task of making sure that these widows get food. Some could look at it and go, well, it's going to kind of run itself. It's practical. Let's put all these mechanisms in place. And by all means, those practical things needed to be set in motion. Somebody's got to cook the food. Somebody's got to wipe the tables. But they didn't even want to wipe the tables and serve the food without going to the Lord in prayer. And they take the time, the apostles, to lay their hands on these men and ask that the Lord would bless their work. It's a reminder for us to seek the Lord in all things in prayer. I'm thankful for the cafe and a lot of you serve in the cafe so that people can have food. I think the cafe is a huge ministry of our church. It's right here upstairs because people are met as they break bread together. As you have a meal together, as you enjoy some coffee together, you have conversation with the things of God. And if you get here early enough in the cafe, they pray before they start. They pray before they start. You know, the ushers do a great job for us here and the security team, and you come in, and the lights are on, and the temperature's nice, and after the service is over, they go through and they make sure that there's no trash and empty out, out the trash. And you know, the ushers before they start every service, they pray. They get together in a circle. The men and women they pray that the Lord would help them and, and bless them in that prayer, even in the practical things. Maybe a way to apply this in our homes if you have kids or grandkids is they're headed out the door, or you're headed out the door, is just put your hands on them and ask that the Lord would bless them. Bless their school day and everything that they're going to they're go through. Verse 7, it says, the word of God spread. The word of God spread. Because the apostles stayed faithful to preaching the word, others stepped up and met the practical needs, then the word of God spread. And as people step up in this body to meet practical needs, that enables the mission of the word of God to be able to go forth. Now, notice what happens when God's word goes out. It's this powerful And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. When God's people are fed, when they're loved and fed, they become healthy. And when they're healthy spiritually, then they go out into the community and they display and tell people about God's love. And then people get to know Jesus and the disciples are multiplied and this happened in Jerusalem. I see this happening thankfully by God's grace and in our church family, we've got these visitor cards that people fill out and we ask them, how did you hear about RMC? And almost 90 to 95% of the time, they write friends, invited by a friend, invited by a neighbor. You're loving Jesus and so then as you're interacting with family and friends and neighbors and coworkers in the city, you love them enough to introduce them to Christ and say, hey, would you come to church with me? And that's how they end up here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. And we go on into verse seven and it says, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Priests, those that saw Jesus as committing blasphemy because he claimed to be God. These priests would have been alive during the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're not too far out from the life, death, and resurrection of Christ these priests didn't plan on getting saved. They got saved. As they saw this love and, and this unity. Imagine if you're a priest, the knowledge and perspective that you would have as a brand new believer. Seeing the feast fulfilled in Jesus Christ, celebrating the feast a rich understanding of Jesus Christ. Verse eight, and Stephen full of faith and power did great wonders and signs among the people. So now the focus goes on to Stephen. And if you want to read ahead into chapter 7 for next week, we're going to see Stephen stand on trial for his love for Jesus Christ. Here it's full of faith and power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy about deacons, focusing on the practical ministries of the body, he spoke of the growth that happens when someone starts to... Serve practically, and the same's with Stephen. We talked about this weekend that there's a certain level of growth that can only happen in our lives when we suffer, when we go through trial. There's an understanding of Jesus that can only be gained as we go through suffering. But there's also a knowledge of God's power now, hear me on this that can happen as we choose to serve, as we choose to take the focus off ourselves and serve other people then God begins to grow us. There's a growth that happens. There's a power that comes upon our lives through service. You've seen it. I've seen it. You watch someone's life. God gets a hold of them. They start serving in their local church. A few months go by. A few years go by. And you go, what in the world happened to you? God's power got a hold of you. God did a supernatural work of growth in and through your life. And maybe you feel like you're not qualified. Welcome to the club. Maybe you feel like you haven't been saved long enough. Maybe you feel like you don't, you don't have your act to, together enough. Nobody is, is qualified in and of themselves. God always calls us to things that are greater than ourselves for his glory. Our sinful flesh wars against this and says, well, here's all the reasons why I can't serve. But God knows, hey, this is all that's going to happen in your life as you begin to serve, one of the reasons that God wants us to serve is because we get transformed in that process. In verse 9 Then there arose some from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, Syrians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicily and Asia, disputing with Stephen. This covers a large geographical region Africa, Tarsus, Turkey. They all are now disputing with Stephen. We see that priests from the temple are getting saved and it's causing quite a ruckus. Verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Stephen doesn't have any formal training. Stephen doesn't seem to have greater intellect than these men that are coming against him. But what does Stephen have? He has the spirit of God. And they can't resist the spirit of God. And this shows us the importance of listening to the Spirit of God, especially when people come against us for the testimony of Christ. So you're in the workplace, and you've got somebody that's more highly educated than you, that they can run intellectual circles around you. But God lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's something that's not the case in them. They don't know Christ as their Savior. So listen to the voice of the Spirit. And the spirit will know exactly the issue that's going on in that person's heart and life. And Stephen was able to stand against them as God's spirit enabled him. Verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. This is evidence that you can't believe everything you hear about someone. They start a rumor campaign about Stephen. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. People can be stirred up easily, can't they? They find a group that's now going to come against Stephen. They also set up false witness, false witnesses who said, this man doesn't cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us false witnesses they're playing on people's fear notice what we find in Stephen and all who sat in the council looking steadfast at him saw his face as the face of an angel he's reflecting the glory of God He's got the moglo going on, is what I call it. You're saying, what, the glow? Is that kind of some glow stick that they sell at the dollar store? No, it's Moses from the Old Testament. As he beheld the glory of God, his face shone. But we find that Moses' glory, it would fade, so he had to put a veil over his face. When we try to put ourselves in Stephen's shoes, it's very aggravating and frustrating when people say stuff about us that's not true especially if the price tag is your life, by the end of chapter 7, he's going to be stoned. He's going to be killed. He's going to die because of this false witness. And he's not reflecting hatred. He's not reflecting horror. Oh no, they're going to kill me. They're going to take my life. He's reflecting the glory of God because he's beholding the glory of God. If someone's coming against you, if they're running their own personal campaign to slur you in the mud, run you under the bus, don't focus on them. Focus on the glory of God. Because you don't want to reflect hatred or or fear or bitterness or revenge. You want to reflect the glory of God. And Jesus, as he was crucified, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Stephen is going to pray and say the same thing. Why? Because he's thinking about Jesus. He's beholding Jesus, and his mind, as he's going through this process, he's thinking about Jesus having false witness brought against him. I want to read you a few verses out of 2 Corinthians and just take this in. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it says, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Church, do you know where transformation comes from? Beholding the glory of God. It doesn't come from going, well, I hope I respond this way in these type of situations. I've got to turn the other cheek. It's something that happens very organically and naturally as we simply behold the glory of God. We're transformed. Maybe you've observed it in your life. You just got stoked on Jesus. Couldn't help but read the gospels and read them again and worship and sing to the Lord hanging out with the people of God, in fellowship, sharing with unbelievers, you're just focused on Christ, your thoughts, your mind, your speech, it's on Christ, and six months go by, six weeks go by, six years go by, and you go, you know what, I'm not the same person that I used to be, as opposed to, you go, man, I don't want to get angry today, I don't want to get angry today, I don't want to, I got angry today, you know, why can't I fix myself? we can't fix ourselves. We don't have the power to transform ourselves. It's beholding the glory of God. Going into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, but we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Did you catch this? Where's the glory of God? It's in the face of Jesus. You wanna behold the glory of God? Look at the face of Jesus in the gospels. Study it, know it, meditate upon it, pray through it, think about his suffering. That's where the glory of God is revealed. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. What's the excellency of power? It's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Churches is so encouraging focus on Christ meditate upon Christ and as we do that we're transformed and we begin to radiate the glory of God the moon has no light of its own it just reflects the light of the sun that's us we unveil ourselves to Jesus focus on him and behold him and we begin to reflect his glory so let's make this our lifelong passion mission and endeavor is to behold God's glory how do you do it in his word looking at Jesus Christ in worship, in creation, in prayer, saying, I want to put more focus on beholding God's glory than even being used by God. Because as we really make that our mission, we're going to find, wow, my life's starting to be used by the Lord. I don't think Stephen said, you know, I really want my face to glow, so I'm going to behold God's glory. I really want to respond right when all of these guys want to arrest me. It was just genuine. It was authentic. He had fallen in love with Jesus Christ. So here's some applications for us. is First, we must take a look at ourselves when it comes to this complaint and division inside of the body of Christ because all of us can be used as an instrument to divide the body a lot quicker than, than we realize, me included. It's illustrated in this. You've got a family that's moving to Jamestown. They have to drive through a rural location. They're out of water, so they stop at this farmer's house. Can we have a drink of water? And he says, sure. Where are you going? And they tell him the whole story. We're moving to Jamestown. And they ask, well, do you know what kind of people are at Jamestown? And the farmer says, well, what kind of people are in the place that you're moving from? Oh, they were awful. They were the meanest, most bitter, most cruel people on the face of the planet. And He just looks at him and goes, well, the people in Jamestown are the same way. And another family, same thing. They're moving to Jamestown, they need some water, and they stop and they ask this question. They say, Hey, what are the people like in Jamestown? Well, what were the people like from where you're moving from? What were your neighbors like? They are the most kind and loving and considerate people because you're gonna find those same kind of people in Jamestown. Get the get, get what the issue was? It wasn't the people in Jamestown, it was the people in the car. And a lot of times we want to say, well, it's the people in that church or the people in this family or my spouse or my kids, and God's saying, hey, you might want to get some logs out of your own eye. We want to make sure we take a look at ourselves first. And then we want to endeavor to keep the bond of peace. In Ephesians 5, it tells us this, with all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of of the spirit and the bond of peace. Sometimes we're gonna to have to work real hard and work real humbly and pray to find solutions so that we don't lose this bond of peace. Now sometimes issues are worth dividing over and that's issues of truth. There's no unity outside of the truth but there's many things that we divide over that aren't issues of truth. And then engage in serving, engage in serving. Maybe the Lord's touched your heart and you said, you know, I'm sure glad there are practical needs here at the church because that's what I'm, I'm good at. Or maybe you got charged up and said, I'm glad that there's spiritual needs at the, the church. That's what I'm stirred toward. Get a volunteer application and just start serving. And I say that out of the greatest heart of love for you because, man, that's when you're going to grow. That's when the Christian life is going to get exciting. They've got volunteer applications at the information center And most importantly, behold the glory of God. Behold the glory of God. And we get a chance to do that tonight in communion. So let's stand together and let's pray.